0: Hello, this is Darrell Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, January 10th, 2020. And on this report, I will be talking about the assassination of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani by a Hellfire missile fired from a U.S. drone. The attack, apparently personally ordered by President Trump, occurred at the Baghdad airport where the general had just arrived on a flight from Tehran, Iran. He was there to meet with an Iraqi named Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis, who had apparently personally planned and led the blockade attacks against the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Keep in mind that the situation in Iraq and Iran right now is fluid, changing even as I speak. A brief background to this story tells us that First, an American civilian contractor was killed and several U.S. soldiers wounded in a rocket attack on an Iraqi base near Kirkuk in Iraqi Kurdistan. In response, President Trump authorized airstrikes on five camps of the attackers. The targeted organization was designated a terrorist organization by President Obama's State Department back in 2009. The group has repeatedly attacked U.S. forces in Iraq in retaliation. For the U.S. bombing, protesters led by the Iraqi Mohandas blockaded and attacked the U.S. embassy in Baghdad, attacking embassies is a common tactic used by the Middle East groups who believe they're immune from retaliation. Remember the takeover of the U.S. embassy in Tehran in 1979. And the seeds of the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi, Libya, during President Obama's administration, President Trump tweeted out a threat, as he termed it, and said that Iran would pay, quote, a very big price. The supreme leader of Iran, Ayatollah Khomeini, taunted President Trump on New Year's Day by saying, quote, there's not a damn thing you can do, end quote. As it turns out, the Ayatollah was wrong because his top general got off his airplane in Baghdad, got in the car with Mohandas. They did not make it off the tarmac before a hellfire missile fired from a U.S. drone obliterated them. I suppose the Ayatollah confused President Trump with presidents of his past, but apparently Trump wanted to send him a hellfire message that could be read as, I'm not Jimmy Carter and I'm not Barack Obama, and if you kill one of us, we will kill you back. The Iranians had to retaliate, of course, so they sent some rockets into Iraqi bases where U.S. troops were stationed, apparently harming no one, but appearing strong and unafraid, so they killed some of ours. In retaliation, Trump killed some of theirs. They retaliated for that, although in a benign way designed not to further antagonize the situation. The President spoke to the nation and accepted their quid pro quo as the end of it, as far as he was concerned. If the the Iranian retaliation was planned and accepted in advance, I would not be surprised. There are rumors floating around that a back-channel note sent through the Swiss Embassy to Tehran said that a proportionate retaliation would be acceptable. I assume that means a military, not a civilian target. I'll be surprised if this tit-for-tat goes any further than that, because I think Trump wants to use it as an opportunity to do what he promised he would do in his campaign. He said he would get the U.S. out of the eternal war business. So perhaps a quiet deal with Iran is in place. Everyone avoids embarrassment. That's just a guess on my part, but It does look plausible. I admit, though, that this idea of a pre-planned withdrawal looks shaky right now, considering the massive buildup of U.S. forces in the Gulf region, so we will see. In response to all this fighting, the Iraqi parliament met and voted to invite U.S. troops to leave Iraq immediately. I might add they were all screaming, death to America. Perhaps the President will accept their invitation, pull the U.S. out of Iraq as he promised to do in his 2016 campaign. Perhaps he will do that. But if so, it won't solve the problem unless they come home completely. Remember that in 2014, the United States under President Obama went back into Iraq and Syria to assist those countries in their resistance to ISIS. Now that ISIS has been defeated, its leader killed, the mission is complete and over. So leaving would be perfectly understandable. That is enough background to ask the question, was the killing of General Soleimani and his Iraqi right-hand man, Mr. Muhandis, justified? Is it okay for a U.S. president to order targeted killings on the other side of the world? Political assassination is an act of war. But remember that Iran declared eternal war on the United States. The great Satan in 1979. Generals are fair game in war since they wear uniforms too, just like their soldiers. I remind you of when President Obama used to meet every Tuesday morning with his staff and by video conference with military and intelligent people from around the world to go over that week's kill list which contained over 100 names, the president would then personally decide who would die and who would live for another week. He was proud of it. He called the New York Times to brag about how good he was getting at it. The Times did a front-page article describing it all in detail, so the Democrat reaction to Soleimani's death is a height of hypocrisy. Using their definition, President Obama committed acts of war several times a week, so despite Hollywood and the American media referring to the killing as murder. There is precedent for it. Is killing during war murder? That is a philosophical discussion. My wife and I often have. I will ask her if soldiers killing in war get some kind of special pass from God. If it's war and you're on the right side, then you get a pass, I suppose. That's all well and good, you may say, but this isn't war because no formal war has been declared. Well, folks, that's where you're wrong. As I just mentioned, according to Iran, that country has been at war with the United States since 1979 or for about 40 years. Why all the animosity? Why do they hate the United States so much? History tells us that going back to the time of World War I or roughly 100 years ago, Iran was known as Persia, that is an ethnic designation that in Latin, roughly translated, means Aaron. In the years leading up to World War II, it was run as a dictatorship by Shah Raza Pahlavi and his family. He decided in 1935, the Shah, that is, decided in 1935 that from then on, Persia would be known by its more inclusive name of Iran, rather, than its 1,000-plus-year-old name of Persia. Through various uprisings, the country finally had a free election in 1954. Out went the Pahlavis, and in came Mohammed Mossadegh. He was elected Iran's first prime minister. The CIA apparently didn't think he was friendly enough to U.S. policy, so he was removed by coup and replaced once again by Shah Raza Pahlavi, who ran the nation of Iran for 25 years. During that term, there were constant complaints coming out of Iran about harsh conditions, harsh treatment, as well as complaints of the Shah's excess, such as his gold toilet, things like that. Jimmy Carter was president then. He was bothered by all these complaints. He seemed very concerned by what appeared to be the immorality of the U.S. supporting a dictator like Pahlavi, so he orchestrated a plan for the Shah to step down and be replaced by a group of Islamic mullahs. The deal did not totally abandon the Shah, but it allowed or required him to spend his remaining life in exile, at least part of which would be in the United States. So that should satisfy the mullahs, right? Well, no, I'm sorry it didn't. It only infuriated and empowered them because they were now in power and headed by the Ayatollah Homani, who demanded that the Shah be turned over to them. President Carter refused to do that, and the decision led the Iranians to take over the American embassy and hold 52 Americans hostage. Through all this long process, Iran declared that the Iranian leadership considered itself to be at war with the United States and that it would never cease efforts to drive the United States from the region. Shortly thereafter, beginning in 1980, Iran fought an eight-year-long war with Iraq that took over a million lives on both sides. Finally, a stalemate truce was negotiated. Iraq was then free, free from Iran, free to turn its attention to Kuwait which gave George H.W. Bush the excuse for his invasion. And from that point on, that point was about 1991, the United States troops have been committed to the Middle East in large numbers. So with that background of history, you can see that the U.S. and Iranian hatred goes back a long time. What then is the answer to our question of whether or not the killing of General Soleimani was justified or not? It was an act of war against a sovereign nation, obviously. But as I have argued, that nation apparently has considered itself at war with the United States for some 40 years, so I argue, yes, it was a just act. But was it the right thing to do? Apparently it was, because it certainly sent the message to Iran that Trump wanted to send, and that message is, just because I don't want war, don't assume that I won't fight one. My own view is that the United States is going to continue to experience problems, problems such as these for as long as it has troops deployed all over the world, especially in hotspots such as the Iraq-Iran border and the Muslim holy lands of the Middle East. Killing everyone who threatens them is a very big, very difficult task, and as we've seen, it normally leads to escalating retaliation, that is, the Roman view of the world. The world is ours, the Romans used to say. The world is ours, and if you harm one of us, retribution will be swift and deadly. The American view was and should be non-aggression, non-intervention in the eternal affairs of other nations. Take care of your own people. Secure your own border. Provide a defense adequate to protect your own nation and its people. The actions we're taking now, especially in the Middle East, are forcing other nations To escalate their own military spending in order to keep up, that's never-ending, constantly escalating position. Most of America's enemies probably understand that you do not fight the Americans unless you have nuclear weapons. And if you are trying to develop nuclear weapons, then you intend to fight the Americans. That presents another problem, and that is that Iran's stated goal of a nuclear program, why would they want such a thing? Trump's. Statement that they will never be allowed nuclear weapons. The possibility of the use of nuclear weapons to stop the Iranian nuclear program is ever before us. What then should the United States do? That question, in my view, is pretty simple to answer. Mind our own business, prepare our own defense posture accordingly. Let the trouble spots of the world solve their own problems. Trade with everyone who wants to buy and sell from us. Withdrawing U.S. troops from Iraq, whether the Iraqis order us out or we leave of our own accord, is certain downside risk. First is the fact that it would cede to Iran what Iran has been unable to obtain in 40 years of war against the United States and Iraq, and that is, control of Iraq and Syria all the way to the Mediterranean coast and down the coast, including Lebanon. Second, It is the possible rebirth of ISIS and or other terrorist groups, some of them sponsored by Iran already. Third is the possibility that nuclear weapons could be developed in Iran and eventually used. Those scenarios are all bad. But I would suggest that attempting to control the entire world with blood and treasure is even worse. Finally, folks, if President Trump is able to find a back-channel way out of this struggle with Iran and perhaps out of the Middle East, it would be cause for rejoicing, not criticism, especially the hypocritical kind of Democrat criticism. At least that's the way I see it, folks. Until next time, this is Darrell Castle. Thanks for listening.